Welcome to this EG webinar held with MRI software, looking into the crystal ball and asking where you should be investing in real estate. I am joined by a fantastic panel of experts from across the retail office, industrial and residential space to talk about events of the past year, the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic has had on real estate investment, and of course, to question where value will be found now in the future and the importance of planning, adapting, uh, giving as much resilience as possible to portfolios. To talk about this, I am joined by Alan Chilton, Managing Director for Capital Markets at Patrizia, Pete Finity, EMEA Investment Solutions Director at MRI Software, Abigail Shapiro, Head of Office, Retail and Life Sciences at Oxford Properties, Richard Starr, Executive Director and Head of Property at Palace Capital, and Nick Winsley, Managing Director and Head of Investments for AEW. Thank you all for making time to be here with EG today. Thank you. Uh, I wonder if we could start with uh, something of a status update from each of you and your businesses. So the first quarter, the first quarter of the year is done, marked a year of being in and out of lockdown over most of, of 2020 with, of course, all of the changes and challenges that that brought for your, your businesses and portfolios, uh, not to mention, of course, the ongoing Brexit fallout that was faced as well. So taking these various macro factors into account, I wonder if you could give our, give our viewers a quick snapshot of uh, how that's affected your businesses and portfolios. Uh, Richard, I wonder if, if maybe you could you could kick us off. Absolutely, uh, Tim, and thank you very much for asking me to join you on this. Always exciting to uh, hear what the future is if, and put my two pennies in. Um, we just finished our year end 31st of March and we'll be announcing those results uh, in June. So obviously I can only tell you about what's actually um, public information, um, but we made a statement, a trading update uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, obviously we highlighted the fact that actually we had some fantastic rent collection during the course of lockdown and that was the, really the key driver for us as a company and the second part was working with our tenants in order to ensure that they were all able to trade as much as they could and help them through a very very difficult time and I'm, I won't be the first to say it was unprecedented. Um, but one of the things that we found that worked really well for us was the ability to actually make connections with our tenants. Normally there's managing agents or um, property managers or all kinds of facility managers in, in the way. And we've always prided ourselves on being able to have a relationship with our tenants. And actually lockdown brought that really to the forefront of our ability to connect with them. And I think our relationships are, are, are stronger as a result. And we've, as I say, we've, we've done very well in terms of rent collection. This first quarter has actually gone very well as well. So we, um, we're, we're very positive about that. Lettings wise, again, we had uh, 50, sorry, 54 lettings, I think we did during the course of the last year. Uh, and lease events, rather, I should say, 54 lease events during the last year. And they're also very good. And we're very, very pleased about how we've managed to let vacant space. Uh, across our, across all sectors. Excellent. Uh, um, 
Alan, when we turn to to Patricia, uh, look, Richard has touched on there that um, that focus on on connections, relationships with um, with you know tenants and the end users of of uh, our buildings over, uh, as he put it, an unprecedented uh, year. How how has that been reflected in in Patricia's experiences? Yeah, of course. Thanks, Tim. And so Patricia, a, a global real assets uh, investment manager. So. Although most of our, our AUM is, is in Europe currently and in real estate, um, that's where uh, I'll focus here. You know, I think we've we've seen really a continuation of, of 2020, um, where the insatiable demand for residential logistics has, has just continued from investors. Um, there is a slight dislo dislocate in, in terms of um, some regions wanting higher returns than, than where the market is right now, um, and maybe we'll cover that later but but generally a continuation of 2020 huge demand and inflows into our flagship vehicles that that invest in in those sectors um it, the resilience of, of income you know the high rent collection and the diversity of of, of that uh, sector and the performance versus other sectors over the previous you know uh, periods of time has, has stood it in very good stead and and we don't see that changing going forward excellent abigail uh, what of oxford's experience has been uh, over the past year and, 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 and the beginning of 2021. Yeah, sure. And I might um, kind of similarly, I'll focus my comments more on um, our portfolio here in Europe, although happy to also speak if there's any questions on our global portfolio. Um, but in Europe and particularly on the office and retail side, I think we've um, you know, look, we've always been a core location investor and that's really kind of put us in good stead through the COVID pandemic, um, rent collections have remained pretty high across our European book, um, you know, into the kind of high 80s, low 90s. A lot of that um, due to the fact that a lot of that portfolio is office weighted with some very good tenants in place. Retail um, has been tougher. Um, rent collections have been lower, particularly within retail that is uh, really dependent on, you know, office workers being in the office. Um, but, you know, that has been counterbalanced, I think, by sustained investor demand for core product. Um, so yields have seemed to be kind of holding up. So valuations are a pretty steady state for our book. Um, and then I think it's also probably worth noting that while we've seen occupier kind of demand fall off pretty significantly, um, just as occupiers are pushing out, making decisions, we are actually seeing very good traction and take up on, you know, smaller sized units. Um, especially where we've kind of taken on the risk to pre-fit out those units. Mm. Um, and uh, and I specifically speak about some of the assets that we have in the West End. Um, and so so very positive actually about the kind of outlook and, and looking forward to what the rest of this year is going to bring. Indeed. Um, Nick, some thoughts from what AEW has, uh, has worked through over recent months. Yeah, thanks very much uh, for, for inviting me to join you today. Um, it, it's been Brexit kind of disappeared in a way, really. I, I think they got overshadowed somewhat by the uh, the lockdown and the in the continuation of the pandemic through the, the last twelve months. But I think the biggest impact really we felt from Brexit was around the referendum and then the the delays that occurred through that and it affected the liquidity in the in the real estate market. In, and like I say, it seemed to get overshadowed um, as we actually went through the the final of the transition period. 
Um, it's been good, though, because we did find that there were international investors looking to invest in the UK where, who were being held back by that. So it, to take a positive from the situation, we feel that those conversations have now come back online and, and obviously now going through sort of the, the vaccine phase of the, the pandemic as well. That's we've definitely seen an uptick in investor appetite for UK strategies. We, we spend a lot of time last year on, on um, calls like this with investors and there was lots of good ideas sharing and lots of discussions. But through the first quarter of this year and up to, to the year to date, we feel that those conversations have now moved on and turning into actual investments and investments in really exciting strategies that are coming uh, about as the impacts of uh, the pandemic are being felt. So strategies looking at uh, the retail sector uh, in particular, where we're seeing really uh, exciting value uh, opportunities. That's great that you're seeing people manage to find those opportunities in in, in, a, in a very volatile, volatile market. <clears throat> and, um, Pete, I guess from your seat, you and colleagues at, at MRI are, are hearing stories like this from a range of clients. Maybe just give give us an insight into into how you view the market from uh, from the perspective of of you know helping helping businesses like these with with MRI's offerings. Yeah, so I mean, we we've had a very uh, very busy uh, first quarter. You know, we've done one hundred and thirty two percent of bookings um, versus budget. Last year looks very similar. Um, you know, we're providing solutions typically on a SaaS basis for both you know to occupational. Um, occupiers of, uh, of um, assets, um, commercial, uh, residential, so really uh, the, the runs the gamut of real estate owners, and they're buying software. I can tell you that. I mean, there's a, it's been a fantastic uh, last couple of years for MRI. Um, I would say, particularly, what I've noticed really in the last twelve months is uh, is more clients going towards BTR, so um, uh, build to rent. There's a lot more interest in that in the marketplace particularly with our big institutional owners of assets, you know, organizations that typically were buying core commercial properties. It seems like they're all piling into BTR now. Uh, there's a lot of interest around lease abstraction. We, uh, we purchased a company called Leverton um, a couple of years back, and now we're integrating that into our underlying property management and accounting systems. So clients are really interested in the artificial intelligence that provides, and that's, that's growing tremendously fast. It's probably the fastest growing part of our business. Uh, but we're also doing, you know, uh, a lot around, um, you know, the, the modeling side. We were talking about that earlier, uh, the mm -hmm. fact that clients really are in a position where they need to look at their portfolios. They need to reconcentrate in uh, other areas, um, potentially dispose of assets in, in other areas. And so clients really need tools that allow them to do that. You know, what if we buy this asset? What if we dispose of this asset? How does that affect the overall returns and total returns and yields on our, our funds? So we got a lot of interest in the the modeling side because you know these are crazy times, and when you have crazy times, you need to you know think ahead of everyone else. Um, and you know the modeling that we provide uh, does help organizations to do that. So it's been busy across the board, but I would say BTR is very very uh, popular at the moment. A lot of clients looking for end to end solutions on residential journeys, and and modeling is is very big as well. Well, let's let's delve into. Uh some of these individual sectors now and pete given that you've, you've you've spoken there about this ongoing rise in in btr maybe we start maybe we start there uh, alan patrizia obviously has, has made some um 
has made some interesting moves in this space. And maybe take us through the opportunity that you see in in BTR and how it how it fits into to your view of the the broader resi market at the moment. Yeah, well, obviously BTR is is quite a um, specific UK uh, opportunity at the moment, given there's the the lack of of uh, institutional stock. Um, and the, the stock that is there is all sort of being built at the moment. So income producing, ready, um, up and built uh, product is, is very scarce in, in the UK. Um, if you look in continental Europe, then depending on the countries, there's much more history, much more sort of institutional backing and the the asset class of residential itself is 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 very very much one that is in majority of, of pension funds um, at the moment, and our view is will only increase um, in in the coming years. You look at the the balance fund index um, of, of Petfi or MCI, and at the moment most of those funds, 14 of them, are, are sort of zero weight into residential, um, but they have an open statement that they want to get up to 20% in that space. Well, you know that's four to eight billion coming into the residential space in the coming periods of which you'd expect a good chunk of that, maybe 15 percentage around there to be in the UK market. So I think, you know, the UK BTR space is only going to get more and more crowded. Um, and like Abigail says, you know, I think it's location is the key part to it because um, we're, we're big believers and, and use and have used for the last 10 years data intelligence to make better investment decisions. And we really we see this as a, as a differentiator going forward to allow us to not only look at uh, streets um, in, in certain cities as to which ones are buyers and which ones are, are, are sales, but really what is the makeup of, of that perfect property for that micro location based on, on macro factors and the, the demand of the region. Um, so the combination of the local offices, people on the ground and data is, is key to making those right investment decisions for us in, in the BTR or, or residential living generally. Abigail, you're nodding. No, it's um, I, I mean, I, I'll confess I'm not the uh, the BTR expert within my company, but I know enough, I guess, to be dangerous. And I think a lot of what Alan said is resonating and also actually particularly around how we're leveraging new technology and building kind of an algorithmic data uh, focused approach to, first of all, really understand what are the drivers to outperformance of a particular asset in a particular location and then using those models to then project, you know, where you might see a future opportunity and potential arbitrage. Um, although, to be fair, we've actually probably started that focus on the life sciences front um, first, and uh, but hope to be able to, to be doing something very similar for the residential space. And Pete, when a, when a market becomes as hot as BTR has, how, how do you adapt your offering to, uh, to, to help your clients gain a competitive edge? Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the big question because to a certain extent, BTR, well, the technology around BTR is a little bit uh, behind in the UK marketplace compared to say the United States, where you, you have you know, property management systems that are doing all the accounting, all the billing, but there's all sorts of requirements around portals. So prospecting portals, you know, how can I find the properties that I, I, I want to potentially um, uh, occupy? Uh, once I'm a resident, you know, what kind of portals do I have access to to find out what's around me? Um, where, where are my bills? Um, so you have lots of technology surrounding BTR. And what we see is that clients are really trying to provide a, an end-to-end -end offering, total turnkey solution, particularly in markets like London, where 
you have uh, young executives uh, who are making good money. Uh, they just want to be able to buy something that includes the internet, that includes all their council taxes and, and everything else. So you're finding the the offering is is really different than what's traditionally been available in the UK, and it's very much uh, they're, they're without question adopting the same type of approaches that have been around in the United States for for many years. So what we're um, busy doing in MRI is adapting those solutions that we already have that we have been providing at scale to large residential businesses in the United States. We're trying to apply those same types of technologies over here, but there are. You know, there are regulatory challenges that you have. You know, for instance, in the United States, you can do all sorts of uh, investigation of a, um, a client from a credit perspective, from a crime, are they criminals that were moving into our nice, fancy uh, apartments? And those things you can't do uh, on the same basis here in the UK for regulatory reasons. Um, so there are always going to be differences between how it's done in Europe versus how it's done in the UK, how it's done in the US. But there's no question that you know, B BTR in the UK is adopting an American approach with some some augmentations because of regulatory uh, differences. But uh, that's that's the model. I think most well, many of the, the big residential organizations are adopting moving forward. Got it. Uh, let's let's switch to look at what's taking place in the office space at the moment. Now, the, the, the debate over the future of the office, what it needs to look like, where it needs to be. It feels like one of the biggest conversations that real estate has been has been having during the pandemic. As that picture pulls into focus and we work out what demand is going to be like for, for different types of um, different types of office space, where does that leave offices now as uh, as an investment, uh, an investment opportunity? Um, I wonder if Richard, maybe some thoughts from uh, from you and, and how Palace Capital is is viewing this space right now. Uh, yes, absolutely, and it, it is a fascinating conversation about how the office is evolving, and it's like most markets at the moment, the knee-jerk reaction that what has happened as a result of COVID will change everything forever, and I think we've been through this so many times in different guises to know that actually nothing lasts forever and how we react from a year ago when everyone was saying working from home i'm never going back to the office to now actually wouldn't mind getting back to the office uh, i just don't want to go back to where i was before so it's an involvement rather than um, rather than it not rather than not requiring them anymore, and certainly 50% of, of Palace Capital's portfolio is in offices. So we'll certainly be looking to uh, hope that our investment continues. I think that um, demand is going to be for flexible, adaptable, and connectable space. And those are the three words that I pump into our team here and into our agents, and making sure that our space can incorporate those three. So tenants want flexibility today. Why? Because they're not sure how many people are going to want to come back to the office, how they'll work in the office, and how long they're going to have to commit to space because maybe the amount of space they'll need will either double or, or, or half. And therefore, they want flexibility. They need adaptability because adaptable space means that it's um, you know, when I first started 20 years ago as an office agent, everything was in cellular space and no one worked open plan. The dot-com boom came and everyone went into open plan space 
and no one wanted to work in an office and it was all about collaboration. And now we'll probably find that there's a mix of both. And you'll find that people want to be in some cellular space because they want to have private meeting rooms. For example, me in a private meeting room now, I couldn't have this in a full office in an open plan space. It just wouldn't work or a breakout area. And then finally, connectivity. I think we've all realised working from home, those first couple of months were horrendous with everyone working, no Wi-Fi connection. Everyone spent a fortune with BT trying to, well, I did anyway, uh, spent a fortune with BT trying to make sure I had the Wi-Fi hubs and uh, could everyone have enough computers and connectivity? So I think those are the three key drivers. We're certainly installing those theories across our office portfolio. And I think it's, it will drive where the market goes. We've developed brand new space at the moment in, in York, in our flagship development, Hudson Quarter, which PC'd on Tuesday. And the market is picking up. And we're having more, in, uh, more tenants requesting terms now than we have for the last year. Um, we let, we, we, we're very confident about the office space going forward, as long as you can incorporate those three mantras of flexible space, adaptable space and connected space. Nick, do you share that confidence in the outlook for offices? Um, maybe not at this stage. Um, sorry to say. Um, yeah, it, it, I think it's, I do agree. It's, probably too early to tell and I think had you asked me what my thoughts were on the office market six months ago it would have been different to how it is now and just talking to my colleagues um, over the last few days you know there's a real desire to get back to the office to get back to that sort of normality I think I think the way we work will change um, but I don't think it will change as significantly as we initially thought it might. I think the main problem with getting people back to the office is, is how they actually get there. And whilst we can provide a good environment and, and safe environment, both for our colleagues and for our tenants, that problem of how they actually get from their home to the office is something that, that needs to be considered sort of you know, outside this forum. Um, I think from, from my point of view and why I sort of said maybe I don't agree is we've been watching closely the vacancy rate in the City of London and that's moved quite considerably over the last six to nine months. It was sort of around the five, six percent mark and now with the release of space due, you would assume is a direct result of um, the pandemic moved out towards double digits and anecdotally various brokers depending on who you talk to or commentators are saying it could move a bit further. So we could see in a 12-month period a doubling of the vacancy rate. And we haven't obviously seen an impact on, on occupancy levels in that market since the global fi financial crisis. And actually, if you look back at the charts, it's it's almost exactly the same. So sometimes the, the we, we look at the city to see how the, the, the regional markets are going to, to, to look in maybe six and nine months time so if that is an indicator of things to come um it, it could be um you know a demanding market for for landlords over over the next few years so really i think it, it like i said my views on 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 how the office is going to be going forward is is changing but i think key to watch that vacancy rate Tim, can I just can I just make a comment on on Nick? Not that I have a problem with him disagreeing with me. I I, I enjoy I enjoy the challenge. I'll see you in the pub later. Um, whilst I don't disagree that obviously the city of London's um, vacancy rates is is increasing, it, certainly in the regions it hasn't been like that. And why is that? 
there hasn't been anywhere near as much development in the last, well, since the global financial crisis in the regions that has been in London. And what with permitted development as well, that amount of grey space or secondhand space has been reduced. And I think that that will be the driver that keeps the regional market very much alive. And as I say, from my own experience of having got space in Newcastle, Manchester, Leeds, Liverpool, York, um, I mean, we, we, we've let 22,000 square feet in the last six months in Leeds. Um, so we're very positive about it. So whilst I hear you're absolutely right, it may be a barometer to the city. I think the regional market has got um, a lot more sustainable than it has been historically, mainly because of uh, the levelling up agenda that has been pushed out, the number of companies that have moved from London, and you're going to see that progress with the government um, trying to push as many, um, certainly their departments outside of London, um, which will hopefully will hopefully provide some sustainable growth as well. Excellent. Abigail, with your with your retail focused hat on, I was interested in your thoughts on the challenges that we've seen in that space. And I'm very wary of just using the the, the catch-all term retail when we're, you know, we can talk about so many different segments of that market, some which are performing um, much better than others, of course. But uh, what's your view at the moment on different segments of that sure. space? Where, where is potential upside? What's to be avoided? What might be able to be repositioned? Yeah, I think it's a good question. Um, I think it's probably worth saying, I mean, Oxford at the moment probably are really exposed to two types of retail, either kind of prime high street luxury retail um, in places like London, Paris, New York City. Um, and then the second would be shopping centers, um, major kind of dominant shopping centers, but that has been really just in Canada. Um, we, we never ended up investing into shopping centers here in Europe. Um, I think my or and I think the company's outlook, I, you know, I don't think that the high street is dead, um, particularly for certain locations. Um, you know, I still see Regent Street, Oxford Street, Bond Street. Um, I think those places and the amenity value and the connectivity that they have will always continue to be an area where people go to have a level of experience when they are going and shopping. Um, that said, I do think that you were already kind of seeing pre-pandemic some stabilization, if you will, of, of rental levels. Um, so in terms of kind of future upside, I would probably say more limited, um, which is kind of contrasts, if you would, with what we saw in New York, which um, was a pretty, you were starting to see a, a pretty big correction on rents in New York that had kind of grown. I mean, they were already above on a kind of like for like basis with a currency adjustment um, well ahead of, of kind of London and, and closer probably to what you'd see in kind of Hong Kong. Um, I think the uh, on the shopping center side, I'd say in our at least in our Canadian business, I can't really speak to Europe. Um, we have seen a hit, but we've also seen, you know, numbers when lockdowns were easing come back quite quickly. Um, but again, we've been exposed to probably some of the best, most dominant shopping centers that you can get in Canada. And then I'd say the third sector that we we haven't historically invested into, but we are starting to look at now on a very selective basis, um, would be some of the kind of out of town um, retail park plays where it's more focused on, call it home goods or non-fashion um, tenancies and have the kind of structure and the bones 
that um, enable kind of click and collect as a part of the kind of wider supply chain network of how people are buying goods, um, but also gives you some downside protection, um, i.e. in terms of conversion potential into kind of last mile logistics. So location is key, tenant profile is key, rental tone is also key for us. So it's a very selective um, strategy, to be fair. Um, but we do, we are seeing there, and I, I know some of those on this call are probably looking at this as well, um, where the, you know, yields came out pretty significantly and there's a, an interesting arbitrage that we think is there between that and where kind of core logistics assets are pricing now in the kind of fours. And, and you can actually see that with uh, the likes of, uh, well, Brookfield, uh, Brookfield uh, bought, uh, out of Hammerson, you know, a, a fairly large portfolio at an 8% discount. So this people are interested in out-of-town retail. There's no question about it. And um, there's other, there's there's more activity there as well. I think, you know, British Land uh, recently said they're, they're interested in out-of-town retail. So it's definitely not dead. Yeah, this was a strategy that we executed in our value-add fund uh, probably uh, 12 months ago, where exactly as Abigail said, you know, we, we looked for um, arguably areas that were dominant and, and uh, going to be dominant in the future, so lack of competition, but um, the previous owners had taken high street retail brands and taken them out to these retail parks to get higher rents. Well, arguably those businesses, those brands were not suited to a retail park, um, and as a result we, we were buying at some very attractive yields, you know, knowing full well that they were over-rented and, and bringing them back down to rents that we thought sus were sustainable with the likes of the, the occupiers, like Abigail mentioned as, as well. Um, and then I think the other area that we've seen increase um, in terms of capital values and, and be very resilient during the, the, the COVID crisis has been the, the food anchored retail schemes, um, you know, especially in, in countries like Germany, where we're a very large owner of that type of asset. You know, they've, they've actually gone up in value in the last, uh, last 12 months. Nick, Abigail touched on sort of conversion uh, opportunities that uh, asset owners might see in terms of, uh, I guess, alternative alternative uses for some sites. Is that something on on you and the team's radar? Yeah, very much so. In fact, we we launched a, a, a value add strategy back in uh, 2019, focused on on retail in the town centres. Uh, we were we were waiting for pricing to come off a bit more before we we started buying. We'd obviously seen a significant decrease in pricing over say a 10-year period but we still felt that there needed to be more and we were waiting for a bit of a correction little did we know that uh, the global pandemic was around the corner so that's obviously accelerated the decline much much um, much further and more quickly especially in town centers and in and the high street retail so we've started um buying assets over the last six or nine months and they are assets that are being bought specifically to hold and reposition over a five or six year period so yeah we we're, we're pretty active at the moment um we're we're looking to tap into the sort of evolving and and fairly robust or changing demand profile picking up on the point earlier about build to rent we're looking to to buy essentially sites in town centres. They just happen to be a retail building at the moment. And then over our whole period, we'll look to, to get vacant possession, look to go through change of use and look to exit those in, in four or five years as a site suitable for build to rent. 
but but not just built to rent. We think you know there's offices moving back into the town centre. In our previous uh, value add fund, we had a few business park offices out in the southeast, and we were always being uh, pipped to the post with tenants for um, where there was opportunities in the town centre. They wanted to be able to go out for lunch or have a have a pint in the pub after. They wanted to be able to get the train to and from work. So all those um, positives of the town centre were were too compelling for for them compared to the out of town locations. Mm. And I mean, we can you know we can continue on. McCarthy and Stone used to build their retirement um, facilities on the edge of towns, even in rural locations, because they were nice places to be. Now they're looking primarily to invest back in town centres. So again same reasons they can be next to the amenities so yeah i agree with abigail in that it's definitely not the death of the high street it's almost like uh this the high street's gone full circle it became just a primary shopping location with every sort of shop frontage and every town center being almost the same and and, and what we've got as retail's dropping we've got an oversupply of shops but we've got all these other uses that used to be back in the town centres, those complementary uses all coming back in. So, yeah, it's going to be a really exciting time um, over the next five years, um, seeing seeing how that that strategy unfolds. Alan, uh, we we've sort of touched on on some of the hotter markets over the last year. Of course, logistics also just on on a on a real tear. How long do you think that? Can possibly continue for really well great question um who knows you know i think <laughs> that the the covid uh, environment has definitely made a a shift in that sector for, for sure you know whether it's in the in the current form um time will tell but i think the combination of uh, the increase of goods and the way people are are um uh, are um, interacting to buy those goods is going to be uh, in a very very interesting and I think the supply chain generally needs to to catch up with with where we are um, so you know yes logistics is, is very very hot right now especially for on-market core shiny uh, long leases and there's arguments where you've seen lots of investors go into the the urban logistics side um, and, and trying to develop that uh, last mile product but I think a combination is is required because, you know, as I say, the, the infrastructure of the value chain has has changed and uh, time will tell where where and how long that's going to run. Nick, your take on on where that market plays out, given um, given just the 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 heights of activity yeah. and the, the rush of names into that market that we've seen. Yeah, yeah, it's it's constant, isn't it? New names all the time. I'm watching them sort of tick up on the screen each day. Different different investors, different partnerships with developers. It's just been 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 sort of unprecedented, really. Um, it, it's a difficult one, really, because I think we we look at that market from um, a build to core strategy. So we've been funding speculative development, and that's been a been a fairly um, not safe is not the right word, but the fundamentals have been pretty pretty positive in terms of very low um, supply and, and good levels of demand. Just sort of slightly wary having listened to Cushman and Wakefield talking this morning and giving their um, logistics update that the the level of spec development coming online now is, is increasing significantly. Um, they were referencing back to the spike before the global financial crisis and comparing and contrasting the volumes we're sort of seeing over 
the last three or four years and there's definitely been an uptick but obviously we're going through a structural shift with the way that we're buying goods and whilst this demand is 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 comparable um sorry the supply is comparable the levels of demand probably aren't comparable so i think you've, we've all just got to be wary whether we're developing or, or buying it comes back to you know the the point that's already been made on this call today it's, it's all, all about location and mm. having buildings in the right locations where where tenants want to be and making sure those buildings have got the right power and right availability to uh, a labor pool so yeah until, until that there's a big shift in that supply dynamic i i can't see there being a, a big change really it just seems to go from strength to strength at the moment there's just a such a significant weight of money wanting to be in that sector pete talked earlier about as he put it in these crazy times that we have been through how investment houses are responding by perhaps switching up the way that they manage model their portfolios and it'd be interesting to hear some of your thoughts on changes you've made in that area over the past year and then and then Pete perhaps some thoughts from you on how um, a provider like MRI can help. Um, I, I, I wonder Richard if, if maybe you could just kick us off here with a few thoughts on how you how you change the way that you model how you change the way that you manage the, the portfolio in a, in a period like this. You won't be some thank you. Um, obviously, signing up to MRI was the critical part, and without that, we would have been absolutely screwed. Um, right answer. Yeah, thank you. Um, you can send the check to my home address. Um, no, so I mean, obviously, um, predicting what or trying to predict what's going to happen in the future is vital. And as we've heard on this call, whether it be the high street or logistics or office space. Everything is in flux all the time. It just so happens that right now in COVID, we we feel it's more uh, uh, we feel it's more now than, than ever. But actually, we're always assessing the future, always trying to try and find uh, a way that we can outperform our peers. And MRI, uh, we moved there last year, just pre-COVID, and it was you know, obviously very difficult during the COVID period to amalgamate everyone, everyone working from home, trying to work remotely to try and enable us to work there. And I think obviously that's been a bit longer for us to, to get to grips with it. But I think there's no doubt that having the ability to forward predict it is good. How has it changed? Um, how's COVID changed our modelling? I don't think it's changed that much. I, we, we've, we've basically been doing this, this is part of what you do, you buy a property, you see what you think you might be able to, how you might want to make money from it, whether it be a core asset that's looking just to give an income return, or as us, we're a total return company, so we're looking to do both income and capital. MRI allows us to separate those two very easily, work out IRRs as well. Um, so I think it's all, it's, it's all very good. I don't think we've had a massive shift in how we've approached how we approach it we're property people who use the benefit of um, software to justify why we're doing what we're doing rather than the other way around yeah it's, uh, I, I would agree with that and i think it's all about you know decision support you know people make decisions every day big decisions many millions of dollars and you want to be able to say well i made these decisions because MRI software or whatever uh, the software program told you it was the right decision. It allows you to see, you know, 
outliers within the data, you know, visually. There's there's all sorts of reasons people buy, you know, software that allows them to to manage the future. And 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 really, I think the the kind of the important thing, the really cool thing that's happening now, is that because MRI has always been a, a very large provider of property management and accounting, so the source of the truth, uh, you know, where where are your rents? You know, who are you renting to? All that data is held in property management systems. And what you're finding is that clients are uh, putting modeling solutions on top that are automatically interfaced to those underlying property management systems so that every single month you're getting new actuals that allow you to forecast out the future, you know, to create what if scenarios, what if we get rid of this one, what if we buy this one, what if we re refurbish, what if we change use from, as uh, uh, a few of you were saying earlier, change use from retail to, you know, warehousing, you know, what can we get in, in rents? All those types of scenarios people are playing out in, in modeling tools that are connected to the underlying property management on a real-time basis. So the market is absolutely getting more sophisticated. And you know, the vast majority of the time I'm competing uh, um, with Excel. So um, in the vast majority, even large institutional um, owners of, uh, of real estate uh, with AUM of billions, are using Excel to do this type of work. And you think, well, from a governance perspective, you know, how can you get away with and make really important decisions based on you know, what could be potentially a, you know, an error in an Excel spreadsheet? So that's why people are moving towards solutions like, like ours, and there are other solutions out there as well. And that's gonna continue. And the, and the connections between the underlying source of data, the source of the truth, and these modeling solutions are getting more and more sophisticated so that you can you know, change something at a, a property level here and see how that affects right up at the fund level. It's very, very powerful stuff. We're crystal ball gazing a little here today. And so as we think about drawing the conversation to a, a close, I wanted to ask you each for a final prediction, but I was hoping, uh, I was hoping you could make it something of a wild card maybe a prediction or a conviction about where a part of the market might be heading over the, the coming months as we head into the new normal that uh, that maybe maybe isn't in line with the consensus at the moment or maybe reflect some idea that's on your mind but that you're surprised people aren't talking about as much as you think as much as you think they might um abigail i wonder if i could put you on the spot and ask you to go first. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> uh, do you know, I have to say, I think maybe just kind of coming off the back of that last discussion, I am a, I'm a big believer in the power of data. And I, one of the things that I am always conscious of and reiterating to my team as we think about how we shift into a, call it post-pandemic world, is that we are no longer competing just with the likes of the group that you have collected on this call, we're actually competing with the likes of Google and Amazon, who are actually bigger real estate owners than Oxford globally. I don't know if that's a well-known fact or not. Um, and the reality is they've got a huge amount of data and understanding about um, human demand. And I think, you know, if they are intelligent, they will continue to leverage that data and understand where to be focusing, um, you know, providing certain real estate solutions. I think to date they've been focusing on, you know, logistics and data center um, assets, but, you know, that can continue to evolve. And so I think if we want to be relevant um, as a business into the future, we have to be able to harness and analyze 
and have transparency on our own data points and be able to leverage that to make better investment decisions. Excellent. Alan, some final thoughts from you. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with the, the, the data intelligence and transparency point. Uh, we're huge believers in, in that at Patrizia. Um, I think that the brand awareness and brand recognition is, is also an increasing part of this operational real estate um, uh, period that we are we are in or, or likely to become more more part of, of the future. Um, I'm actually a little bit surprised from an investor standpoint that there isn't more um, inflows into the UK at the moment. Yes, Brexit has, has been a lot of noise, but you know you look at it as a opportunity versus other parts of, of Europe and um, you know the UK does look interesting right now for, for many different strategies. Um, you know I think we we might have get used to a bit more of a volatile currency um, going forward and that might be the reason why a number of investors aren't, aren't sort of looking at it in a, in a great way but you know I think that could change as well in the in the coming months. Richard a wild card prediction from you? Well I mean since you asked the question I have been writing down loads of things mainly what um, everyone else has been saying. Um, I mean I think obviously tech is you know, how technology is incorporating itself into real estate is it's not really a wild card it's just it's it's a slow sludge for the property industry we are we are very slow at it a wild card call would probably be that i think the role of the agent is slowly but surely probably just becoming more and more obsolete and i think letting office space today is becoming more about tenants themselves spending time at home searching on the internet and how your brand how your how your brand or how you market your space online so i think, think that's going to have quite an impact i i agree completely with alan the uk's got a long way to go and i think brexit for us was actually the balancing act that um sort of leveled out ourselves out a little bit took the took the steam out of us back in 2016 i think we were all powering ourselves off Brexit gave us a good levelling playing field. Covid slowed it down again, and I think we're going to have a real powerhouse certainly for the next couple of years. And I think that's just going to be a real positive thing for us as uh, as investors. The trick is um, where to buy, and I think we've all said it. So, I, and I'm the only one who hasn't said it, but I they wrote a program about it. It's called location, 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 and there's a reason for it. It is the cre critical first part of any investment decision. Nick, what's on your mind as you look ahead today? Well, I think I think the biggest thing, which we, we spent a lot of time talking about um, at AW um, since we've launched our, our town centre urban real estate fund is, is actually whilst that's creating some, some what we've sort of called once in a, in a generation type buying opportunity where we're seeing capital values per square foot for assets and time centers at a fraction of what they used to be. I think that's, and, and repositioning it, as I've said, for these alternative uses. I think the really interesting thing the, to, to unfold over the coming years is how the retail, in particular time center retail sector holds up. And whilst we spend a lot of time talking about what occupiers of logistics properties want. We don't seem to talk in the industry much about what retail occupiers want. Uh, and I think that the development in the room there is, is rebasing or changing the rental model. 
and it seems to be happening piecemeal. Um, but whether there, you know, whether there's a bit of a more of a joined up approach from landlords, and we accelerate that change, we might actually end up with a more robust uh, retail occupier market going forward. So I think that's going to be something that's going to be really interesting: how quickly that unfolds and and how severe the damage is, or how how we could potentially limit that further. And Pete, to you for some some final words. Well, I mean, whatever these guys buy in the future, we're going to be uh, there to service them with, with with our software. It's interesting about the you know retail and and servicing retailers more. We're doing a lot around, uh, and I think this is going to be a prediction that you can uh, uh, hold hold me to. There's going to be a much more uh, percentage rent turnover rent. Um, I don't think we're going to see another pandemic, and it probably won't matter. But uh, I think more. That risk uh, between the tenant and the, the the landlord needs to be a bit more equal, and we're seeing clients come to us saying, "Look, we need to be able to model more scenarios around percentage rent uh, to to share that that." So I think that's definitely going to be something that happens. But you know, you're going to buy what you buy, and MRI is going to be there to to help service that uh, from a technology perspective. Uh, that is, there's no doubt about that. There'll be more acquisitions. We've been acquiring at a, a rate of knots at the moment, so we'll be there to provide the solutions that. Uh, you real estate owners need. Excellent. Well, Alan, Pete, Abigail, Richard, Nick, uh, that's about all we've got time for. It just remains for me to say thank you all so much for making time to be here to uh, to share your insights with EG and our viewers. Thank you to MRI for supporting today's webinar. And of course, thank you for watching. Bye for now.